Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, I believe that's uh, page 809 in your Red Pew Bibles, but the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking uh, specifically at verse 8. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, looking specifically at verse 8 this morning. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, commit this time uh, to Him once more. Father, we are thankful for your kindness and grace to us this morning. We are thankful for what you are doing in the midst of our congregation. We thank you for, we're thankful for the way you have sustained uh, your people here for almost uh, 200 years. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to sustain this congregation until you choose to return. And Lord, we Pray that as your word is taught now, that you would draw us closer to you. That you, Lord, would give us a clean heart. That we may see you. And Father, I pray that you would draw us down the path to where we are growing in holiness. That our love and devotion is increasing. Our desire to display lives of purity would be increasing. And Father, we know that we are dependent upon the work of Your Spirit in our lives to do that. So Father, we pray that Your Spirit would work generously in our lives. And Lord, that our wills would be conformed to Your will and Your desires. And these things we pray in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse... Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, continuing with our series on Jesus and happiness, and how we have been uh, discussing that this word uh, blessed could also be translated as happy. And so in all these things, uh, Jesus is giving us a way to be happy. And when we're honest about uh, our feelings, our emotions, our desires, I think all of us again would agree that we desire happiness, we desire peace, we desire contentment, and that's not in opposition to the gospel, it's not in opposition to God's word, but in fact it is a desire that God has given us. Uh, One of the things that we share as human beings is the desire for happiness. Uh, But we also know uh, that there are uh, many days, some days, the days outnumber the other kind of days, that happiness is not able to be obtained. That, that peace and contentment is, is a very uh, difficult thing uh, to obtain. But here Jesus is speaking directly to the depths of our hearts and saying, there is a way to be happy, there is a way to be blessed, there is a way to be content, there is a way to find peace in your soul where you can sleep at night. And he said, this is how you do it. And he's outlined these things where he begins in verse 3 and goes on through uh, verse 11. Where blessed are so and so. And so here we find ourselves in verse 8 where he says the words of Jesus in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So in this verse, we see uh, two things. We see, one, a great promise, and to me, also a great problem. So, so the great promise is, is what, at the end of the verse? That we can see God. If, if we were again asking ourselves, you know, would we like to see God? My assumption is, is that all of us would like to see God. If I said, well, Wayne, would you like to see God? 
Wayne would say, yes, I would like to see God. And if I asked each and every one of you, the answer would be the same. I would think that, yes, I would like to see God. Part of the the reason why we're here this morning, we're desiring to to learn more about God's Word. We're desiring to to do things and to live life in such a way to where, yes, we we hope to see God. And this goes against the idea that that a lot of times you you may uh, hear on TV or in movies or in different books that if God does exist, then there's really no way to know who He is for sure and exactly what He's like. And maybe we can see, maybe we can't. We, do, we just don't really know for sure. Well, here, one of the great promises of the Bible coming from the words of Jesus is that there are people who will see God, that you, that you can see God. And those people will be blessed. They will be happy. They will be content. So just imagine... Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to even imagine this, but imagine the relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with their Creator, God our Father, before sin entered into the world. And so the Lord would come to the garden and He would commune with them. And so just, just imagine the, the intimacy there to where sin isn't present. There, there's nothing hindering the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And imagine how it will be when Jesus returns and completely eradicates all sin from His creation, and His people live in the new heavens and the new earth where we, where we truly see God, not just dimly as, as His followers see Him now, but that we truly behold God in His Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the glory of Jesus Christ, which says in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't need to be a sun, because the glory of Jesus Christ will be light enough for everything. And so just imagining the, the, the peace and contentment that comes. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the, uh, the reality of the walk with Christ is, is that there are days, what, that, that are glorious, you think that... Wow, uh, there's nothing wrong with my relationship with God. I feel so intimate and close with God. And then there's days where, where God feels distant. He seems distant. seems like reading God's Word is, is bland. Hearing, teaching from God's Word is bland. Singing is bland. Praying seems impossible. It doesn't seem like your, your prayers you know, get to the ceiling of your roof. So we have those days back and forth. But, but think about the times where... Uh, the Spirit of the Lord just seems so alive in you. That you just feel close to the Lord. And that every, every word from, his, from the Bible just comes alive. Every song just seems to bring refreshment and renewal. Now seeing God without the effects of sin in our life is infinitely greater than those highest moments that we have had. Maybe it was when you first came to Christ or at a revival or just uh, through some difficult experience that you, you had in life with a, where, where God just seemed close uh, because of the trials and, and sufferings that you were going through. That the promise of Jesus here is greater than those moments. That there will be a time of eternal blessedness and happiness and peace and contentment. Why? Because we are seeing God clearly. That there's no no sin to distort our vision of God and our relationship with Him. And that should be something that I hope that we are all yearning for. 
that yes, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and yes, I've been to seminary, but the reality is I have days just like everybody else. I have seasons in my life just like everybody else where things seem dry. That the Bible seems distant. God seems distant. Everyone is like that. So for me, I yearn for the day where that doesn't happen anymore. To where every day is a glorious day of revival and renewal to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I yearn for that day. So when I see a promise where Jesus says, they shall see God, then that, that for me is a great promise to cling to. Because there, I, I know based on the words of Jesus Christ, there will be a day where some of us will see God clearly and perfectly and without blemish. And we will see Him like that every single day. And so, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be a wonderful place. Not because, you know, my parents are there, or your parents are there, or my wife is there, but because Jesus is there. Because Jesus is there. That's what's going to make it wonderful. And we're going to be able to see God. So the great promise here is that there will be some people that will see God. Now, what is the the problem of this passage? What does Jesus say? Does Jesus say, blessed is everyone because everybody is going to see God? What does Jesus say? He says, there are some that are going to be blessed and happy for eternity because they're going to see God. So that's the glorious promise. But, But the problem is what? That there is a specific type of people... That will see God. So, so if you reverse it, you know, Jesus say, who's going to see God? The pure in heart will see God. Now you could reverse that and say, well, if Jesus is saying the pure in heart are going to see God, who is not going to see God? Those who are what? Not pure in heart. Now, The problem comes in when we begin to think about this concept. Because the heart is a complex thing, right? So it's not just talking about the physical, your physical heart. That in itself is complex. But here this word heart is meaning to encompass all of the facilities of a human being. So the will, the mind, the emotions... So a lot of times in English we think about heart just being, well, you know, I love you with all my heart, kind of our emotions. But this is more than that. It includes the emotions, but it's also talking about the mind and the will. So, so if you were going to unpack it, you could say, Jesus say, those who are pure in their emotions will see God. Those who are pure in their mind will see God. And those who are pure in their will will see God. Not just in one of those, but in all three of those. So those who are pure in their mind, their will, and their emotions will be blessed because, why? Because they will see God. Now, what's the the problem with that stipulation that Jesus is giving here? What is easier to do? Have clean hands or a clean heart? What happens if you go out there and play in the mud 
and you have dirt on your hands, what, what can you do? What do you do? You go wash them, right? And what happens? The dirt goes off. Amazing. Even if you get some grease and oil, they have... Uh, uh, we had, growing up, we had the, the orange soap. I don't remember the brand name. Maybe it was just orange soap. that had the, looks like sand granules in it. And it would take your skin off almost. But it would get it clean. So even if you have really a lot of grime and oil and, 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 and grease, you can still get your hands clean. You can, you can clean them. But guess what? Is Jesus interested in clean hands? He's not. We like to, to clean on the outside in the symbolic sense of we this morning, what did I do before I got dressed? I took a shower and I got cleaned. You know, I shaved, brushed my hair. Uh, Jasmine ironed my uh, shirts. She had to iron two this morning since one got wet. And try to make sure my, my suits are cleaned. Make sure there's nothing bad on my, uh, my, my shoes, wear clean socks. And, and I, all of us did something like that. Because what would happen if I came and, and I just, you know, I didn't shave and I didn't put on an iron shirt and I got up here and, you know, my hair was kind of going everywhere. Uh, and I had some wrinkled clothes on, maybe some shorts and flip-flops. Now, would I still be Corey? Yes. But would some of you be wondering, uh, you know, what happened to our pastor? What, what's going on? Most of you probably wouldn't be listening to what I was saying. You'd be wondering, why does he look like that? He, he looks dingy. He, look, he looks dirty. But when I, when I look clean, and when you look clean, then that gives the impression that, well, oh, that's such a fine, upstanding person. You know, imagine if you were, uh, just imagine, you know, regardless of what type of business you're in, uh, or, or any type of environment, if, if two people walk in that door, and one of them, you know, is, is kind of dingy and dirty, looks like they hadn't bathed in a, in a, in a couple of days, and they have a little odor to them. And right next to them walks in somebody that's clean cut, that has nice clothes on. Uh, which one are you going to be nicer to? It's okay. We're all guilty. <laughs> Jesus died for our, our, our sins. So it's okay to confess. Them. What, we're, we're going to show favor to who? The guy who's clean, right? Or we're going to show favor to the one who's more attractive, whether it be male or female. We're going to show favor to the one who's driving the nicer car, who gives the appearance of having life more together, that's presenting themselves as more clean. And we're good at that. We, we can do that. We can do that on, with church. We can present ourselves as very clean by wearing the right things. We can present ourselves as very clean by faithful attendance to Sunday school. Faithful attendance to worship service. Faithful attendance to the rest home ministry. Faithful contributions. Faithful praying. Faithful teaching in Sunday school. Faithful singing in the choir. All these things that, that are elements of presenting what? A clean Christian life. That are not in and of themselves bad things. 
Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad people sing. I'm glad people teach. I'm glad people contribute. So those are good things. But, but what is the problem? What does Jesus say? Does He say, Blessed are those who are faithful in Sunday school attendance, for they shall see God. Blessed are they who have been members of a certain church for a certain amount of years, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who wear a tie on Sunday, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who teach Sunday school, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are baptized, for they shall see God. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. But he, he speaks much deeper to the issue. Because as we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are many reoccurring themes. One of them is that God is not primarily interested in outward actions. You say, wait a second, you know, I've read the Old Testament and God commanded sacrifices to be made. You're right, He did command them to be made. And there was a sense that He was honored in the obedience of that. But repeatedly, God is careful to say it's not the sacrifices that I'm interested in. But what does He say in Psalm 51.17? He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So God's saying, yes, there's sacrifices here, but the true sacrifice that I'm looking for is dealing with the heart. That was the message of the Old Testament. And so throughout the prophets, you see the prophets say, yes, you're doing these sacrifices, but your hearts are far from God. So the equivalent could be, yes, you are doing the things that, yes, God commands us to to gather together and worship and to preach and teach and to sing, and you're doing those things, but you know that it's possible to be doing those things. It's possible that you are sitting here right now, and this is your 400th consecutive Sunday to be here at Redbud, but your heart is far from God. Do you know that that's possible? It is possible. And unfortunately, it's been true for the history of the world. That since the begin, since Adam and Eve, you remember what Adam and Eve did after their sin? What did, what did they do? They hid from God, but what did they make? They made clothes, right? They wanted to do what? They wanted to give the appearance of covering up their shame. That they're guilt. They want to conceal the reality of the broken relationship with God. So they tried to make clothes from themselves. So you're not alone, and I'm not alone when we try to conceal the impurities of our heart. Adam and Eve did it, and everybody after them has done it. That, that we do things to try to conceal the realities that we don't have a pure heart. That the thoughts of our mind are not pure. The desires of our will are not pure. And the yearnings of our emotions are not pure. And Jesus is saying, that's what is required to see me. So that you can be a great member of Redbud and never see God. There were men and women in the Old Testament who were faithful 
Israelites in the sense that they followed the sacrifices. They were good husbands, good wives, good fathers, good mothers, good children. But yet the prophets say that their heart was far from God. And Jesus continues this idea of being concerned with the heart, even in the Gospel of Matthew. You want to flip over to chapter 15, just a couple of pages you can. Notice what Jesus said. Again, we see to where Jesus is primarily concerned with the heart. And the things that He says and the teachings that He is saying, He's always trying to get His people to get beyond the external things and evaluate your heart. Your heart. Because we can deceive with the external things. Okay? We can deceive each other. I, can de- I, I know the right answers to say about the Bible. You know the right answers to say. I've been involved in Southern Baptist churches since I was a child, so I know what the acceptable behavior is and what the unacceptable behavior is. And, and I could follow those things and give the appearance of cleanliness and purity. And you can too. So this is why Jesus is always pushing, pushing forward. Pushing beyond that. Excuse me, Matthew, uh, what did I say? Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. Notice what Jesus says here. Again, getting to the issue of the heart. He says, Do do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. For out of the mouth comes what? Excuse me, from out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But he with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So you see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when someone commits a sinful act, so, so if I start gossiping about someone, Jesus is saying, the problem isn't what's coming out of your, your mouth. He said, yeah, that's, that's wrong, but that's not the ultimate problem. That's just the symptom of the problem of the heart. So this is why Jesus can say that, you've heard it said that those who murder are liable to judgment, but I say to you, those who have anger are liable to judgment. Why can Jesus say that? Because He recognizes that murder really is simply a symptom of a heart that is angry. So so the real problem is not that you took someone's life. Yes, that's wrong. But he's saying the deeper issue is the cancer of the heart. And that the act of murder is simply an overflow of your angry heart. So when we talk about slander or gossip, yes, that's wrong. But but Jesus is saying the problem is that it's just simply an overflow of a prideful heart that sees yourself as better than whoever it is that you're talking about. And you could use this with each of these things. And so this is why Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are those who are faithful church attenders, for they shall see God. Because Jesus knows that someone can be a faithful church attender without being pure of heart. So this raises the question, of, well, how do we become pure in heart? Because we, if we're honest, again, we're not 
hopefully, or hopefully we easily recognize that, well, this, this concept of purity, of being cleansed and, and without fault, without sin, is not something that accurately describes me and you. Because we recognize that, that well, we are sinners. That there are things in my emotions that are contrary to what God wants. There are things in my mind that are contrary to what God wants. There are things in my will and my desires that are contrary to what God desires and wants. So if that's true, even if it's true just once, then we are not pure of heart. It's just like if, you know, the, the illustration, if you're you know, baking a bunch of cakes and you have 30 eggs and 29 of them are great eggs and you put one rotten egg in there, what do you have to do with all the other eggs? you got to throw them out. So even if you have elements of, of goodness, say, well, look, I do these good things. I'm not denying that. Praise the Lord for those things. I'm simply saying that Paul says in Galatians, if you're faulty at one point of the law, then you're guilty of all the law. So if you have one impure thought, then you can't be pure of heart. If you have one impure desire or yearning or emotion, then it renders you guilty. It renders me guilty. And so the problem as we see now is that this promise can seem unattainable. To where Jesus says, well, blessed are those who are... You know, he gives the promise that there, there, be, there will be some people that see God, but what is the problem? He says they have to be pure in heart. And when we honestly evaluate our situation, we can't say that we're pure in heart. And so we see that, well, how can we see God? And this is the beauty of the Gospel. It's like every week, you know, these little statements that Jesus makes, as you unpack them, what is at the root of them all? The Gospel. Our need for the work of Jesus Christ. Our need for His, His pure heart. Because who, who, who does have a pure heart? It's Jesus. Jesus has a pure heart. And one of the beautiful promises of the Gospel is given in Acts chapter 15, verse 9. You don't, you don't have to turn there, but just Paul is saying, uh, Luke is writing here, he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews, and you know he says? He says that, that God views them both together, that He cleanses their hearts through faith. So that the, the hindrance of a pure heart is the fact that we have sinful, dirty hearts. So the solution to the problem is being able to have some way to cleanse our hearts. And the beauty of the gospel is that God says, I will cleanse your heart for you. You can walk through those doors 5,000 times, but you will never cleanse your heart. You can have the sharpest looking tie and suit, but it won't cleanse your heart. You can sing the best song but it won't cleanse your heart. You can read the Bible every day for an hour, but it won't cleanse your heart. You can go to seminary, but it won't cleanse your heart. You can stay faithful to your spouse for 50 years, but it won't cleanse your heart. 
You can leave your inheritance, your money, to the church. But it won't cleanse your heart. Nothing that you can do here will cleanse your heart. The only thing that can cleanse your heart is the work of Jesus Christ. So you hear people talking about, well, as long as you believe in God. You know, that's what's important. We believe in God and this is kind of generic concept of belief in some deity or God. Let me just be very firm in saying that you can believe in God all you want to. But if it is not the biblical God who will punish sin through His wrath and has sent His Son Jesus Christ to satisfy that punishment and to give clean, clean hearts and that calls all people to have faith and repentance in His Son, Jesus Christ, then there is no seeing God. So any religious belief or any concept of Christianity that you have, that you can can hold to it and remove the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, His life, His death, and His resurrection, the fact that He is the Son of God, then you will not see God according to Jesus. So this is why we are, you you think about the concept of the Trinity, the belief in God, the Son Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. When I asked Connie earlier, Connie, the first question I asked her last week and this week, do you believe in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? There are many people who call themselves Christians who don't believe that. And guess what? You're not a Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity because there is no seeing God without the work of Christ. And for the work of Christ to be what it is, He has to be God. Or else it's not sufficient. It doesn't accomplish. A man cannot die for me. Because a man is no better than I am. No better than you. It has to be God Himself bearing the punishment. Hence, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. So this morning, I don't know where where you are. I mean, you. I, I don't want to make any assumptions because you've been here for 45 years and you've been a member of Red Blood longer than I've been alive. Let me just lovingly say to you, if that's true, that's great, but just know that that cannot be the basis of you being able to see God. Because Jesus says, those who will see God are what? Those who are pure in heart. And the New Testament is crystal clear that the pure heart only comes through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that is applied to us through faith in that work. So that we are trusting that Jesus' life and His righteousness is sufficient for our life because I don't have righteousness that's sufficient for a pure heart. That His death is sufficient to pay my penalty because I can't pay my penalty. And that His resurrection is sufficient to ensure that I will spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ my Lord. So that we're having faith in those things. All those things, we're, we're, we're affirming something about Christ, we're trusting in Him, and at the same time we're affirming our inability to do something. And so... If you want to see God, which I'm assuming you do, 
the requirement that Jesus gives is that you must have a pure heart. And that only comes through faith in Christ. So if you never had genuine faith in Christ, then know that Christ invites you to follow Him now. That the call to faith and repentance is is there. To trust in Him. Regardless of how long you've been a member here, regardless of what role you have in this congregation. That if there's not faith in Christ, then there's no clean heart. If there's no clean heart, then you are not pure in heart. And if you're not pure in heart, then you will not see God. So my prayer is that the beauty of the gospel would lead us to faith in Christ. That we may have pure hearts, that we may see God, and therefore be blessed for eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.